Let's open our Bibles in Ephesians chapter five. <coughs> this is a great passage, Ephesians five, verses one to six. We'll try to get all the way through verse six. The first two verses are so packed, it's even gonna be hard to do that. But let me start with them. Ephesians five, verse one and two. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That is just one big reality that I wanna go over. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about put off the old and put on the new and, and, and there's a theological and a, a renewing part of that as well. Put off the old, put on the new. He starts this chapter with put on the new. He wants us to do something. In a few moments, in verse three and following, he's gonna tell us what not to do. But here's Paul's telling us what we should do. Remember, this book is written to believers, to Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. And he starts out by saying, therefore, because of all the stuff we've been talking about and all the things you need to do, like put off the old, put on the new, he's saying, therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. I want you to circle that. It's so important to be an imitator of God. In other words, when people look at you, who do they see? Well, they see Bill. But do they really see the characteristics of God? Now you say, but God is all-knowing and all-powerful and all, the, you know, all these all-things, omni-things that we can't be, and that's true. It's very true, but the character of God do they see? Let me give you an example. A few years ago, actually many years ago, I was in my 30s, early 30s, so that was a long time ago. We, I get a call from a friend of ours, of our family, who lives up in West Palm and runs a Christian school in West Palm. Calls up and says, Bill, would you teach or would you speak at our graduation in May? And it's like six months ahead, and I said, sure. And we talk, how's the family, how's the kids, how's everybody, and we talk. Great. And so. A couple months later, they call back, what size should we get for the robe? And what do you need? Do you need a PowerPoint? What do you need? What's your head size? All the normal stuff. And we talk, 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 talk about the family, everything else. I know these people, I grew up with them. And then the week before, hey, do you have everything you need? Here's where you need to go. It wasn't at the school, it was at an auditorium that was bigger than the school. Can I find my way? Yes, yes, yes. So I get there that night. And they look at me and they go, hi, Bill, where's your dad? Why are you here? My dad is Bill Mitchell. I'm Bill Mitchell. My dad was a fantastic speaker in his day. And you, you may not know him, he's sitting in the back, he's 91 now, he doesn't look like he's a great speaker now, but he's better than I'll ever be back then. And they go, where's your dad? I go, what do you mean, where's my dad? I don't know, he's at home, I think. And they go, he's speaking tonight. <laughs> now, here's the thing. These people talk, I know these people, they talk to me. I imitated my dad so much without even knowing it, it was second nature, that they thought the entire six months of conversations was with my dad and not with me. That's what imitating means. When people go, she's just like Christ. Now, it doesn't mean you can die on the cross and you're perfect, none of that. 
but the attributes, the characteristics that people go, I want to be like that. That's what it means. This week, at, at, you know, I had translators. A lot of people speak English down there, but a lot of them are, are afraid to speak, because, and so they're speaking Portuguese, and so I had translators. I had a couple of translators that were unbelievable. When I went left, they went left. When I went right, they went right. When I got excited, they got excited. When I got quiet, they got quiet. And I was watching the crowds, and they, the ones speaking English were looking at me. The ones speaking Portuguese were looking at them. That's how good they were. And then I've had translators who are terrible. They get the words right, but that's it. They only get the words right. I'll say good morning, they'll say bonjour, how you doing, tota bain, and no emotion, no understanding, no feeling, no expression, no connection. They're getting the words right. And I believe there are a lot of Christians who get the words right. But there's no belief, there's no excitement, there's no underneath. And he's saying, I don't want you just to say the words of Christ, the words of God. I don't want you just to repeat them. I want you to imitate them. God gets excited, you get excited. God's not excited about this, you don't get excited about this, and we'll talk about that. So the question is, are you really an imitator of God? And then he gives a theological reason for it. He says, as beloved children. Now this goes all the way back to the book of Romans that Paul wrote, the book of Corinthians, both first and second that Paul wrote, the book of Galatians that Paul wrote. Ephesians is a little later than those books. He's in prison now, it's kind of later in his life. And it's all about that we have been adopted as children. We are being asked to imitate our father. Not just imitate this ethereal God up here, but to imitate our father. You see, we are beloved by God and we are his children. We are to imitate our father, not just imitate a God, but imitate our father, right? And that's what he says here. It's, it's such a deep theological statement that we miss it. Our beloved children, we are beloved. And then he goes on, verse two, and walk in love as Christ love, loved us. We are supposed to imitate God and imitate Christ. So the attributes of God, the attributes of Christ, which are pretty much the same, but Christ put a lot of hands and feet to what, who God is as the Son of God and living on earth. So we are to act like Christ act. And all those things that Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount and in his sermons and when he walked on this earth, those weren't important necessarily to our salvation, but they're important for us to know how to imitate him because we see an example of who he is. And then he gives some theology behind that. And he says, and gave himself up for us. I want you to write this down in the margin of your Bible or in your iPhone or iPad, whatever you take in, is that Christ did things to our benefit, for the benefit of us. It's amazing. Have you ever gotten something and it says, to the benefit of Bill Mitchell? <clears throat> I have the benefit of something that someone has given me. It's to my benefit. He's saying that Christ loved us and gave himself up for our benefit. There's a big theological word here 
There's a lot of theological words we could use. Redemption is one of them. He redeemed us. And another big word is he atoned for us. It's a beautiful thing. And then he says, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. I'll come back to the fragrant offering. A sacrifice to God. This is important to understand, that Jesus Christ was a sacrifice for us to the Father. Now, I say this all the time, and people misunderstand when I say this, so I'm going to say it again, but it's important for us to understand. We are all sinners. Can I get a nod on that one? Okay. Are you a sinner? Okay, good. A few of us are sinners in here. Okay. We're sinners. We have sinned. I don't make light of that, by the way. I am kind of making fun of it, but it's serious. Sin is serious. The Bible says that the wages of sin, the cost of sin is one thing only. And what is it? Death. So if I sin, I die. I am a sinner. I'm going to die right? A equals B, B equals C, A equals C. It's a very simple math problem. I am going to die because I am a sinner, because all sin leads to death. So here's the point. Who can pay for your sin at death? There are only two people who can pay for your sin or my sin, and we need to remember this. When I sin, I pay for my sin. Now, my father, who was good, he could may have paid for the results of my sin. He could have paid for the ticket that I went too fast. If I stole something, he could have paid retribution to the store. He's paying for the results of sin. He is not paying for my sin because my sin is against the Almighty God. Do you see that? So some of us say, oh, I could pay for my kid's sin, or I could pay for that person's sin. No, you can't. You can pay for the results of the sin, but you can't pay for the sin. The only person who can pay for the sin is you or someone who is perfect who substitutes you. That's it. And that is Jesus Christ. The whole basis of our belief, if you're new to um, the understanding of Christ and the Bible and you're visiting us, the whole core of what we believe is that we are sinners that sin leads to death, and Jesus Christ came to earth to pay for that sin. He didn't come to earth to do miracles. He did great miracles. He didn't come to earth to do great sermons. He did great sermons. He didn't come to earth to do great parables and great pithy sayings. Oh, those are great. He did great ones. He didn't come to earth just to be an example, although he is because we're supposed to imitate him. He came to pay for our sin. And the Bible calls it substituting. What does substitute mean? Substitute means I owe the sin. Jesus is over here. He's going to substitute himself in my place for my sin. You see, the sin is going to be paid. The sin is not, what's the word? I have a head cold. I can't think. It's not obfuscated or whatever that word is. It's not hidden. It's there. The sin is there. Your sin is there. My sin is there, and it's going to be paid for by me, if it's my sin, by you, if it's your sin, or by a substitute. And there's only one substitute, and that's Jesus Christ. That is the whole basis of the message of the Bible. 
the whole coming of the Messiah, the whole Abrahamic covenant, the whole Moses thing, the whole David and Goliath thing, everything in the prophets all leads to the fact that there's gonna be a substitute. Everything in the New Testament is all about the substitute of Jesus. So we can talk all about Christianity, we can talk all about the Bible, and if we leave out Jesus and that he's our substitute, we might as well just gut the whole thing. Does that make sense? That's the story of the Bible. But most people say to me, Bill, you not most, that's not true. A few people say to me, Bill, you talk too much about Jesus. I was with the pastor, we were at a great church, the, uh, the Iglesia Baptista Memorial Alphaville. I don't think I said that the correct way, but those of you from Brazil know this, a great church. And he said, his name's Pastor Sidney, he said, all we do is talk about Jesus here. They started with 20 people in 2009, they have 10,000 people now. Now, that's Brazil, Brazil, everything is big in Brazil, it's just like everything's big in Brazil. So it's not about the number of people, but he says, all I do is talk Jesus. You know, we sing about Jesus, then we talk about Jesus, then we do Bible studies about Jesus, then we tell people about Jesus. He goes, some people get tired of hearing about Jesus and they go somewhere else. Well, it's all about Jesus, isn't it? Why? Because he is the substitution or the sacrifice to God. So it says, Christ loved us and gave himself for us to our benefit. He gave himself for us. He is in the, he's benefiting us with what he did. And then it says, as a sacrifice to God, so he is in our place. He's benefiting us with him, and then he's taking our place. That's the whole story of Jesus Christ coming to earth. Now, in the middle is this great little line that we all just kind of flick out of, a fragrant, fragrant offering. Now, we in America don't get this at all. Now, I'm not going to ask you how many of you have cologne or perfume on. It's fragrance, right? Why do we wear fragrance in the United States? To smell good, right. Is it because we smell bad? No, we don't. Why? Because we take showers. Now, I don't want to get too um, <laughs> mundane here, but I do have a head cold, so I might get a little more than I should here. But you go to other places of the world, not necessarily Brazil, but you go to other places of the world, and the problem is they don't have access to showers and baths and, and uh, the hygiene of every day and being able to do it. Maybe they do it once a week, twice a week, whatever it is. And so there are perfumes they use to cover the smell. We think... Those of you that come out of more uh, liturgical churches, the Catholic, the Orthodox, et cetera, and some high churches that use incense as a part of the spiritual act of the church, incense in the church was started because of the smells in the church. It had nothing to do with spirituality. The incense in the Old Testament had to do with spirituality. The incense, incense in the New Testament, or not in the New Testament, but in the modern you know, post-church, post the New Testament, was because of smells. Now, next week, uh, Elizabeth and I, our daughter, our last daughter's getting married next Saturday. We're so excited about it, Jackie, and, um, which is really exciting. 
we have ordered flowers. We have ordered flowers. And on Thursday or Friday, we're picking up the flowers and they're gonna arrange them beautifully and uh, you know the whole story, right? Why are there flowers in weddings? Because it's beautiful. No, originally in the Middle Ages, they put flowers because of the smell. The groom and the bride and the people smelled and they had to put flowers in to mask the smell. We live in way too hygienic a culture right here to get this. The reality is this, is that Jesus Christ covers the smell of our death. That's what it means here. We are on a death march and Jesus Christ is covering that and then when we believe on it, he's substituting himself from that. Isn't that an amazing thing? We have sanitized the Bible and put it into PG when it's an R-rated book. I mean, it is a real thing. The fact is, is that we're dying and he's covering us. It's, there's big words. I can give you all the theology you want, but it's atonement. It's propitiation. It's expiation. Don't worry if you don't know those words. It just means he covers our sins with himself. And when God looks at us, he looks at Jesus and misses us. Because I smell the smell of death. And God wants to smell the smell of life. And that comes from Jesus Christ. That's just one and two. Let's go to verse three. Here's the bad part. That's the good part. So now he gets negative on us, Paul. Gets negative on us, and he names six sins. Three sins of the, let's call it the hands, the bodies, kind of the movement part of sins, three of them, and then three of the mouth, the verbal sins. So you have kind of the physical sins and the verbal. You call them anything you want. Verse three, but sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. The word saints there is holy people. What he's saying here is sexual impurity, um, sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. I'm gonna come back to greed. We know what sexual immorality and impurity is, and greed must not even be named among you. In other words, when they're talking about people who are moral, impure, and greedy, your name does not appear in that list. And not, not God's list, in the people's list. When they're talking about you guys over here, do those words appear in, the, in that? They talk about you over here. Do those three words appear? You know, she's impure. He's greedy sexually immoral. He says, do not even allow your name to be named among those who are named in it. So it's actually a positive statement in a, wrapped in a negative. Now you go, I get the sexual immorality, I get the sexual impurity and, the, and just impure things, but what about covetousness? What is covetousness? It's greed. Greed is a, a huge thing that jealousy, envy, all these kind of things um, are underneath it. What does it mean? What it means basically is I wanna keep what I have and I want what you have. I wanna keep what I have. I'm not gonna give you because I'm greedy. I'm keeping what I have. And I want what you have. I don't know why you have it and I don't have it, so I want what you have. I'm greedy. I want what you, does that make sense? So 
you go, well, why would he even talk about greed and these huge sins of sexual immorality and these huge sins of impurity? And then he mentions greed, covetousness. Well, and, and I've shared this before, only one time in all my years of counseling and pastoring have I had anybody tell me they're greedy. I've had people confess everything other sin under the sun that can be confessed. And I'm not a priest, I'm a pastor, but they come and confess it to me and say, I've done this and I've done that and I'm not worthy. But nobody comes and says, you know, pastor, I'm greedy. I got a little greed in my life, which is bad because think about it. Moses, the top three in the Bible, Moses, Jesus, Paul, right? Moses, one of the top 10 commandments is thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not be greedy. It's in the top 10. Of all the sins, well, actually, there's only like six of those are sins, seven, eight, and well, no, I guess they all are, nine are sins, because you are supposed to love God. Okay. And then, I have a head cold, sorry. <laughs> Usually, I can think on my feet, but when this thing's clogged, I can't. The other is Jesus. All throughout the Sermon on the Mount, all throughout the Gospels, he's talking about don't be greedy. Be generous. And then the Apostle Paul, his whole, all the books of, of his writings all talk about generosity, generosity of spirit, generosity of your goods, generosity of the word, generosity of your talents, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are all these things in here of generosity. And in fact, we talked about this at the beginning of Ephesians, the last time Paul saw the people of Ephesus before he went to Rome when he got in prison and wrote this letter. He told them two things. Acts chapter 20, you can write it, look at it later. He said, remember Jesus and the word of the gospel and don't be greedy. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Yes, remember, 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 do, do, do but I don't know that I'd put greed as the number one thing that I would tell people not to do. There may be some other things, but he knows that an underlying sin of all of us is greed. He knows it. Jesus knows it. Moses knew it. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He knows it. That underlying, we have a sense of greed. What's mine is mine, and what's yours is mine, at least in, in here. And the the whole story of the gospel is the opposite of that. The total opposite of that, which is God has given to me so that I might give to you. God has given to you so you might give to others. If we want to be imitators of Christ and imitators of God, we have to be non-greedy, generous people. That's what he's saying here which means he wants you to be in the naming when someone goes, you know, they're sexually pure, so-and-so. They don't do immorality, so-and-so. You know, they're generous, so-and-so. As opposed to saying they're greedy, so-and-so. I've never seen them give anything away, so-and-so. It is an amazing thing, and can I say... It's not about the money. So the other day, Cameron and I, Carlos had already left. He had come back early, and Cameron and I went with the team. So 
Some of you, we went into one of the flavellos. The flavello is kind of a high poverty area. And we went in and we went door to door. We broke up into small groups and we are actually knocking on doors of like abject poverty people. I mean, very poor. And I was with Kate, your son, <coughs> and myself and, and a translator. And we went in and we knocked on the door and they let us in. And we're, here we are in a home that's not much bigger than right here, you know, about 15 of them would fit in my home. And the generosity of spirit was unbelievable. Would you like some tea? Could we give you? They had no chairs, they had beds, because there was only room for beds. So I'm standing, of course I'm tall, I'm hitting the roof of the thing, and they invite me to sit. I'm thinking I'm sitting on the bed, but we all sat on the bed together, kind of in a, like you would around a, a set of sofas. And we shared with each other and shared Christ and prayed with each other and laid hands on each other. It was like, it's unbelievable. It was, there was a generosity of spirit there. I probably had more money in my pocket than they'll make in five years. It's not about the money, my friends. It's about the generosity. You go, I don't have as much as they have. Yes, you do. You really do. Because God didn't die for your pocketbook. God died for you. And you are as valuable as they are with all the money. Right? Christ died for you and them. He didn't die for the pocketbook, didn't buy, die for the houses, didn't die for the cars, didn't die for anything else. He died for you. And that's the beginning of an incredible, generous spirit. Then he goes on and he says, let there be no filthiness, foolish talk, or crude joking. Okay, that's the mouth. Obscenities, filthiness is just obscenities. Obscene, I mean, we can just say what it is. Foolish talk, that's just foolishness or crude joking which are out of place, but instead, let us be thankful. Let there be thanksgiving. Something needs to come out of your mouth. Let it be good that comes out of your mouth. <coughs> Excuse me, this is just so important. For you may be sure of this, that everyone, and he goes back, who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater. That's interesting. If you're greedy, you're an idolater. We go, you mean the people that hold those little things, you know, back in the years ago that had those little idols? You're comparing me to someone with an idol if I'm a covetous person? The answer is yes, because your idol might be your education, your money, your bank account, your children, whatever it is. It may not be a physical little representation. He says here, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And then he goes, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon sons of disobedience. Let no one deceive you with empty words. In other words, we should not say filthy, obscene, foolish talks, nor should we receive those things. Now, how does this apply to us? Let me just give a quick application, do some thing, and we're going to have communion as well, is... Let me ask you a question. How do you act Monday through Friday? 
Now, there's two parts to that. Sometimes people change their persona on Sunday from Monday through Friday. In other words, they're nice, they're good, they're spiritually healthy here, they look great, and then they act differently. Their morals are different on the weekday. Uh, The way they do their business is different. Certainly their mouth is different, and it's gone downhill. You kind of live a two-way life. And if you do that, you got to make a decision. Am I in the world or in Christ? And if you're in Christ, be in Christ 24-7. Now, the other part is, that's bad, but the other part is you're in Christ on Sunday, and then you're silent Monday through Saturday. Silent. That is just as bad. I've shared this story before, and I've, I've talked... Uh, when I was uh, resigning from my business uh, years ago, 20 years ago, when I resigned to come join the church here, about 20 years ago, um, I wrote a letter and et cetera, whatever. And um, long story short is the secretary, the administrative assistant to the president of the company, the president was not a Christian. She called me up and said, I'm a believer, but I never told anybody. Now, I've known her for years, and I never knew she was a believer. No, she never told me. Which is worse, being a bad mouth or being no mouth? Both are bad. If you're a follower of Christ, people need to know it. You need to share Christ. You need to live out Christ. You need to work out your salvation. You need to play it out. Whatever word you want to use, play it out in God's way. Don't play it out wrongly. So it's a both and. It's, it's, there's a bad thing to do, but nothing is as bad as doing the wrong thing. We're going to leave it right there for a moment. A couple thoughts. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you are the light of the world and let your light so shine the people may see you, right? What does that mean? That means that your light should always be on. Your light should always be on. When Benjamin Franklin, remember him, one of our founding fathers, lived in Philadelphia, they didn't have streetlights in Philadelphia. So he wrote in his autobiography the story that he wanted streetlights and nobody else wanted streetlights. So he said the way he did it was he put a light in front of his house. He paid for it. He put the lamp. Of course, it was all oil back then. Excuse me, so he would light the the wick or have one of his people light the wick at dark, and it was light in front of his house. People loved it so much that they began to light in front of their houses. The first street lights in the United States of America, because one man, Benjamin Franklin, said, We need to light the dark streets. One person did it. Finally, after so many, Philadelphia was the first, they put street lights out. We need to light our world. And you go, nobody else is a light in my workplace. You know what? They may be, but they've hidden their light. You just don't know. There could be someone else in your workplace that knows Jesus but has been so silent about it. Why don't you light your light so that they see it and maybe they'll light their light. And maybe we have lights going on, and then we can be an influence in this world. People say we need more Christians in America. I don't think we need more Christians in America. We need more Christians who act like Christians in America. 
We don't need more Christians. We do need more Christians. We need our followers of Christ, obviously. I'm being facetious. But if we all acted like this says, the Scripture says, we would change the world because God's, we're imitating Christ. Why? I shared this story years ago. When I first became part of the pastoral team, I was an assistant pastor. I did the groups. I did what Carl does, basically, back before I became senior pastor. And there was a lady, we were raising some money, and there was a lady, she used to sit right over here where you all are, and um, hello, guys and ladies. Good to see you, Joan. And uh, she would sit there. She was 93 years old, and she said, I want to give a bracelet to the church. It was old, it was beat up, and she'd been wearing it for dozens of years. And I said to her, and one of the pastors said, we were there, we said, you know, why don't you keep it? It means more to you than it will to us. I thought it might be worth $5, $10. I thought, it obviously means something to you, you've been wearing it for all these years. And can I say, when somebody offers you something, that is the wrong answer. I'm just letting you know I was wrong. I sinned at that one. She's... She took it off. She said, take a look at it. I want to tell you about it. She said, when we were young, her husband had already been deceased. She was 93. Her husband was deceased. She died at 103, I think. I remember, I think that was the last time I saw her, went to her funeral. But um, she said, when we were young, we had a room in the back and we would give it away to artists. She loved art and I love art. We used to talk about it, but she would give it to an artist who was fledgling and learning, trying to get to a studio, make a living. And so for a month or two, and when the artists got a, a living and would go to another city, they would usually give her flowers or chocolates, which, you know, it's all they could afford. Give her a few flowers, thank you. Give her a chocolate or something, thank you. And one of the artists who was going to another city said, I want to make you a bracelet. And she said, how do you know my size and all the rest? He goes, I'll just take my fingers and I'll size it. So he put his two fingers around her wrist and it was perfect. Four-finger thumb, that was the size of her wrist. She was a very petite lady. A month later came this nondescript piece of bracelet. It was like a bangle. It was a hard thing. And um, it came. She put it on, and she's been wearing it from the 1950s. It might have even been the 40s. I mean, she wore it for 65 or 70 years. She was in her 20s. Now she's 93, and she says, I want to give it to you. So I'm thinking, what value does it have? So she says, take a look at it. And inside the bracelet were the fingerprints of the artist. He made it exactly this side and he put his fingerprints in it. And then he signed it with his initials, A-C, A-C. Now, if you're not in the art world, it means nothing to you, but A-C is Alexander Calder. Alexander Calder was probably the second greatest artist in the mid-20th century in the United States, shortly behind Pablo Picasso. That little bracelet that I thought was $5, $10 could build a building. We sent it to Christie's auction house and sold it. Why was it worth so much? because it had the fingerprints of the creator in it. And it was signed by the creator. Can I tell you, every one of you have the fingerprints of God on you. And he has signed his name to you. You have been made in the image of God, the Amaho Deo. 
And here's the beautiful thing. You have the ability to put your fingerprints on someone else. Can you think of someone in the past that helped you? Can you think of someone in the past who mentored you? Can you think of someone in the past who discipled you, who helped you, gave you a helping hand, a hand lifting up, whether it was financial or spiritual or physical or some way? Of course you can. Their fingerprints are on your life. God is calling us to be imitators of him with his fingerprints so that we can put his fingerprints on other people. Can we do that? That's our calling, my friends. It's not the coarse joking. It's not the filthy language. It's not the greed. It's just be imitators of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.